From NPR and WBEZ Chicago, this is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR News Quiz. You're going to look great, because you're about to get a bellicone implant. (laughs) I'm Bill Gertis, and here's your host at the Chase Bank Auditorium in downtown Chicago, Peter Sagal. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, everybody. Thank you all so much. We have a very fun show for you today. Later on, we're going to be talking to the author of the young adult novel, To All the Boys I've Loved Before. That's the basis of a very popular movie on Netflix right now. However, the author has insisted on remaining anonymous, although (laughs) speculation is that it's either Jenny Han or Vice President Pence. (laughs) But first, please be aware that we will require you to state your name when you call in to play our games, although we won't check if it's real. Say anything. The number is one triple eight. wait wait That's one 888 Let's welcome our first listener contestant. Hi, you are on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Hello, Stephen Van Varick from Winter Garden, Florida. Well, hey, how are things in Winter Garden? Just wonderful. I, I, uh, hot and rainy. Oh, that's what it's like, I guess, in Orlando at the end of the summer. Uh, is that where they, do they have baseball spring training there? Uh, I don't know. I don't follow sports. <laughs> you don't notice, like, every March, a whole bunch of, like, overpaid guys wandering around carrying wooden clubs? Not at all. No. I, don't hang, I don't hang out in Orlando. All right. Oh. <laughs> Steven, welcome to the show. Let me introduce you to our panel. First up, a comedian who will be performing at the Arlington Draft House in Arlington, Virginia, September 21st and 22nd. It's Helen Hall. Hey, hi, Steven. Next, a comedian performing at Beauty Bar in Chicago on September 13th and a writer for WGN's Man of the People. It's our friend Adam Burke. Hello, Stephen. How are you? And finally, making her debut on our panel, a comedian whose new book is called Maeve in America. It's Maeve Higgins. (laughs) Hi. Stephen, welcome to the show. You're going to start us off with a round of Who's Bill this time, as I'm sure you are aware. Bill Curtis is going to read for you all three quotations from the week's news. If you can correctly identify or explain just two of them, you'll win our prize, the voice of your choice from anyone on this show on your voicemail. Ready to play? Yes, sir. All right. Now, your first quote is, in fact, a series of quotes from top White House officials. (laughs) No, I did not write. I am not the author. It's not mine. It wasn't me. (laughs) That was respectively Don McGahn, Wilbur Ross, Rick Perry, Mike Pompeo, and Melania Trump. (laughs) (laughs) All denying that they had done what? The secret letter in the New York Times. Exactly. The anonymous (laughs) op-ed in the New York Times. They said they didn't write it. So far, nobody has come forward uh, to admit to being the senior administration official responsible for the New York Times op-ed, calling the president, quote, impetuous, adversarial, petty, and ineffective, unquote. This is a little bit like an elf writing an anonymous op-ed saying Santa is overweight. (laughs) I mean, we knew that. (laughs) It's a little weird to see it coming from a guy on the team, though. I love that they've narrowed the suspects down to about 400 people. Yeah. <laughs> they, and the only person that we all know it definitely was not is Melania, because we know she can't write anything that Michelle Obama didn't write first. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. Of course, by the end of the week, as, we, as Bill quoted, uh, more than a dozen cabinet secretaries and officials have denied writing it, and you can trust them because a person who said in the New York Times that he constantly lies to the president to keep him from losing it 
is obviously going to tell us the truth. <laughs> <laughs> I feel bad for all the people who got really excited about this, though. You know, people are like, ah, this is it. This is finally the thing that's going to take him down. They haven't figured out that Trump is like a character from a 1930s radio serial. Like, every week it ends in, like, a breathless, yeah. inescapable <laughs> cliffhanger, and then you turn in next week, you turn in next week, and he's gotten out of it. I know. Like, every week, Mueller the Merciless is like, I have you now. <laughs> Is this the end of Trump Rogers? No, it's not. He always gets out of it. He has his secret Russian Dakota ring, and he gets out of it. He's got the wow. pardon pistol. Wow. All right, Stephen, here is your next quote. You also apparently like to eat pasta with ketchup, but nobody's perfect. That was Aaron Hatch, senator from Utah, hitting somebody with the tough questions as part of his confirmation hearings. Who was it? Uh, that can van who something? <laughs> can van. You're, I, you're I have to say, there. I, I'm, I, it's been so ubiquitous this week. I'm both shocked and a little envious that you've been able to escape it. <laughs> wow. You were close. Remember? You remember? You, you know the job, right? Yes. What's the job? Supreme Court judge. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Yes, that's right. And, and, and give, give me your best, your best version of his name. Cavanhu. That's, you know, <laughs> Brett Kavanaugh's name. You're close yeah. enough. It's all right. I have trouble. I have trouble, I have trouble with those ethnic names myself. Yeah. <laughs> As President Trump said of him, Judge Kavanaugh does seem born to be on the Supreme Court. It's true, but I bet his black, loosely fitting, robe-like skin did cause him some embarrassment as a kid. <laughs> I, I don't know if you watched it, but they were actually, unlike most Supreme Court nomination hearings, kind of interesting because the Democrats decided to fight with everything they had. Good news for the Republicans, they had very little. <laughs> the Democrats are not going to stop the nomination, but boy, they sure tried. That's so all the Democrats get a participation medal, and Kavanaugh gets a Supreme Court seat for life. Uh. <laughs> I, I don't understand why they're called confirmation hearings when Kavanaugh won't confirm or deny anything. So it's Kavanaugh, right? Well, that would depend on the particular case. Yeah. I couldn't. <laughs> it, it was kind of fun. There were, there were these spirited speeches from the Democrats. There were outbursts from protesters. And there was so much grandstanding by Democrats, it got a little suspicious. Every time Cory Booker finished talking, he turned to the camera and said, I'm Cory Booker, and I approve that message. Yeah. <laughs> Your last quote, Stephen, is uh, the description of a product that earned its maker a huge fine this week. This is a product called the Jade Egg. This nephrite jade stone helps connect the second chakra, the heart, and yoni for optimal self-love and well-being. Prosecutors claim that was actually all nonsense, so they find uh, a woman's wellness company owned by what celebrity? Uh, a Kardashian? <laughs> that is a very good no. guess. That would make sense. Does the word goop mean anything to you? No. All right. <laughs> you know, I think you're better off, so yeah. we'll just move on. I'll tell you, it's Gwyneth Paltrow. Gwyneth Paltrow has created a multi-million dollar business by convincing otherwise intelligent women to pay 60 bucks for little rocks they put where you usually do not want rocks to go. <laughs> These jade stones are Speak for yourself. <laughs> 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 I can edit. 
Is that, is, that, is that where the phrase to get one's rocks off comes yeah. from? <laughs> These get your rocks in. Rocks in. Get your rocks in. Yeah. Yeah. The, these jade stones are supposed to quote increase sexual energy, tone muscles, balance hormones, and increase bladder control. Unquote. <laughs> bladder control. Right. Who has the focus to pee your pants when all you can think is, oh my God, I'm about to have a rock baby. <laughs> <laughs> I do, I do love any product where the correct usage of it sounds like a threat. Why don't you take this and <laughs> shove it up your... Like no, but like, every single woman's product sounds violent and aggressive. Like, my hair products are all like, is your hair disgusting and frizzy and unruly? <laughs> yeah, so take control. Whip it yeah. into shape. Yeah. yeah. Get a hold of yourself, woman. Yeah. And so I think... I think that's why she makes everything sound so like it'll be fine. Just like drink this oil and you know. Is your reproductive tract <laughs> barren of minerals? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to turn your uterus into the set of an Indiana Jones movie? <laughs> Put some precious stones up there and be a hero. <laughs> just, I'm just imagining. <laughs> Indiana Jones trying to get out, and the stone is coming after him. <laughs> But they, uh, one piece of advice that like hetero women always get is to like surprise your man, and I think that is <laughs> so shocking. Yeah, that would do it. Yeah, wouldn't it? That would definitely do it. I'm, I'm meeting resistance that I haven't come across since I went on that spelunking trip. <laughs> Finding myself between a rock and a hard place. Oh, <laughs> Bill, how did Stephen do in our quiz? Well, Stephen, you got two out of three. You are our winner. Congratulations, Stephen. <laughs> Right now, panel, it is time for you to answer some questions about this week's news. Adam, this week, a section of highway in Texas was forced to close down after a truck carrying what exploded? Uh, was it Axe Body Spray? It was Axe Body Spray, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Either the truck caught fire and the extreme heat caused its payload of thousands of cans of Axe Body Spray to explode, or the cans self-immolated for the good of humanity. <laughs> After the weaponized deodorant blew up, Texas Highway Patrol closed Interstate 35 for eight hours, saying the road was, quote, dangerous to motorists and, quote, suddenly and weirdly sexy. <laughs> also, I mean, Texas road explosion sounds like a scent of Axe body spray. It really does. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, I, I know that Axe doesn't smell good, but I also know that, like, teenage boys, no offense, smell worse. <laughs> so I'm really torn. That is true. The only thing that smells worse than a teenage boy with Axe body spray is one without it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the original name of Axe was Lesser of Two Evils. Yeah. <laughs> Coming up, two out of three panelists bring you fake news in our Bluff the Listener game called one wait wait to play We'll be back in a minute with more of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me from NPR. 
Support for this NPR podcast and the following message comes from Wix.com, a web platform for creating your own professional website. With Wix, whether it's your first time creating a website or you're a longtime pro, you can do it yourself. Choose from hundreds of stunning templates or start from scratch with drag-and-drop technology and powerful web features. Join over 125 million people already using Wix to create their own websites. Go to wix.com to create yours today. So what will you create? Hey, Asma. Hey, Scott. Another crazy week. We've got North Korea. Yep, we got Russia. Midterms. And, of course, President Trump. And what happens whenever there is crazy news that erupts? We pop into the studio and break it down to make sense. So if you see a headline... We've discussed it. It's the NPR Politics Podcast. From NPR and WBEZ Chicago, this is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR News Quiz. I'm Bill Curtis. We're playing this week with Helen Hong, Adam Burke, and Maeve Higgins. And here again is your host at the Chase Bank Auditorium in downtown Chicago, Peter Sagal. Thank you, Bill. Right now. It's time. Right now it is time for the Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me Bluff the Listener game. Call one wait wait to play our game on the air. Hi, you are on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Hi, this is Megan Lospect, and I live in Missoula, Montana. I love Missoula, Montana. One of my favorite places. What do you do there? Well, I work at a local TV station full-time, and I work at Animal Wonders, which is local exotic animal rescue and outreach. Oh, no, wait a minute. Exotic animals. That's yeah. not, not dogs and cats, but things like... Well, tell me, things like what? Well, we, ha- we just rescued a baby beaver last summer. Oh. Who are you rescuing them from? Well, so the... <laughs> Abusive beaver parents. (laughs) (laughs) So this baby beaver had a severe disability, and so um, he gets to live the rest of his life and (laughs) with the rest of us. um, Does he have a a list? Uh, (laughs) That would be so funny. our educational programs a little more interesting. <laughs> well, anyway, welcome to the show, Megan. You're going to play the game in which you have to tell truth from fiction. Bill, what is Megan's topic? The Scunthorpe problem. The Scunthorpe problem. It sounds like a terrible Robert Ludlum novel, and it might be. We haven't checked. But it's also a real term for something we saw written about in the news this week. Our panelists are going to tell you about it. Pick the one who's telling the truth, and you win our prize. The voice of your choice on your voicemail. Are you ready to play? Absolutely. All right. First, let's hear about the Scunthorpe problem from Helen Hall. It's a struggle that many public radio fans know all too well. After years of listening to their favorite radio personalities, they finally get tickets to see them in person and show up excitedly at the venue only to experience the shock of their lives. That's what they look like? (laughs) Fresh Air host Terry Gross reports her most commonly heard feedback at live events is, but you're supposed to have long flowing hair. It happens so often that NPR has given it a name, the Scunthorpe problem. Named after Eliza Scunthorpe, a longtime contributing member of WBUR in Boston, Ms. Scunthorpe at last scored tickets to see her favorite radio show, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. I guess I always imagined them to be, you know, 
really distinguished looking? Miss <laughs> Scunthorpe's unsettling experience came to a head when the host of the show, Peter Sagal, was announced. Leaping to her feet in dismay, Miss Scunthorpe repeatedly yelled, Boo! No! I don't believe you're him! Bring out the real Peter Sagal! Unable to be appeased, Miss Scunthorpe was escorted out of the show and off the premises. Well, you can bet I'm canceling my membership. There's no way that imposter was Peter Sagal. The Peter Sagal I know and love looks like Pierce Brosnan and Goldeneye. <laughs> the Scunthorpe problem is people believing that public radio figures are more attracted than we really are and being shocked to find out the truth. Your next Scunthorpe explanation comes from Adam Burke. With so much intentional obscenity on the internet, it seems that unintentional obscenity is also becoming a problem. Take the case of sports writer Natalie Weiner, who tried to log on to a website only to have the site's security protocols reject her name as offensive language. <laughs> it's part of what web developers refer to as the Scunthorpe problem, so-called because when certain AIs and internet monitoring algorithms are confronted by a name like that of the English industrial industrial town Scunthorpe, they often flag it as objectionable as it happens to contain within it a particular four-letter word that many find <laughs> offensive. Quick hint, the word isn't Thor. As researcher Michael Veal puts it, some words, such as the common abbreviation of the name Richard, are harmless in certain contexts, but in other cases, parents might not want them used and would be flagged by certain types of program. Consequently, people with names like James Butts and Claire Aycock say they're victims of what's being called algorithmic bias, a computer's inability to distinguish unfortunate linguistic coincidence from deliberate filth. It seems that after so many years of being plagued by dirty-minded 11-year-old boys, the internet has turned into one. <laughs> Who can't or won't distinguish whether Charity Buttkiss is a woman's name or just a very particular request on GoFundMe. <laughs> the Scunthorpe problem. <laughs> a problem in computers. Trying to teach computers when a naughty word is not really a naughty word. And your last description of the Scunthorpe problem comes from Maeve Higgins. The Scunthorpe problem, if you're not familiar, is a term in biology for the tendency of human beings to react to the discovery of a new species by immediately trying to eat it. <laughs> it gets its name from an 1856 incident when a scientist named Dr. Thomas Scunthorpe proudly presented the discovery of the platypus at a conference. He described it thusly. Tis the body of a weasel, the head of a duck, and the teats of a woman goat. The first question from the audience was, incredible discovery, sir. What side dishes do you recommend? <laughs> Weeks later, Dr. Scunthorpe ultimately released his findings in a paper called The Platypus, Please Don't Eat It. He was ignored. Platypus populations plummeted, and the Scunthorpe problem was born. All right. There is something real called the Scunthorpe problem. But is it, from Helen, the problem of people being inevitably disappointed <laughs> when they find out what their favorite public radio personalities actually look like? Is it, from Adam Burke, the problem of people or words with names that could be dirty not being able to use computers because the computers won't let them? Or 
Is it from Maeve Higgins the problem of people immediately celebrating the discovery of any new species by immediately trying to eat it? Which of these is the real Scunthorpe problem? Well, it's really funny because um, recently I looked up a picture of what you look like, Peter, and I was very shocked to find out what you look like. <laughs> <laughs> You 100% could have replaced the word shocked with pleasantly surprised. <laughs> I wanted Helen's story to be correct, but I, I'm pretty sure it's Adam's story. You're pretty sure it's Adam's story that Scunthorpe problem ref refers to a problem in computer programming? Correct. All right. Well, you've chosen Adam's story then. And to bring you the real definition of the Scunthorpe problem, we spoke to somebody who knows all about it. My last name, Weiner, triggered an algorithm that was designed to prevent people from using pornographic content or something. That was Natalie Weiner, a staff writer at SB Nation and victim of the real Scunthorpe problem <laughs> because she can't enter her name into computers. Congratulations, Megan. You were right. Adam Burke was telling the truth. You picked it. He gets a point. You win our prize. Any voice you like, saying pretty much anything you want. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you so You're much. You're very, very welcome. Can I ask before you go? <laughs> what did you imagine I looked like? Can you, can you read that description of a platypus again? <laughs> Yeah, that description sounds pretty good. Oh. <laughs> Everybody jumps on you. All right, thank you, Megan. Thanks so much for playing. Thank you so much. And now the game where we talk to somebody about something they don't particularly want to talk about. It's called Not My Job. If you have a teenager or just a romantic in your family, they're probably talking about the Netflix movie To All the Boys I've Loved Before. It's been credited with reviving the whole genre of teen romantic comedy. Well, that movie is based on a best-selling book by Jenny Han. She joins us now. Jenny Han, welcome to Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Thank you. Jenny, first of all, congratulations on the success of the movie. Everybody's talking about it. Thank you so much. Yeah. Was it, it, was it autobiographical at all, this particular one, to all the boys I've loved before? It was a little bit. The germ of the idea came from my own life because I used to write um, secret love letters to boys when I was trying to find closure. Aww. And then I put them in a hat box and I never sent them out. Um, but mine were never mailed. Right. In, in the movie, they, the, the, the letters that the heroine has written get mailed, and then she has to deal with all these boys who have gotten these love letters from her. And yes. hijinks ensue. <laughs> <laughs> Jenny, did you see in the news today about those letters that are, are like 250 years old that have just been opened up? Was, oh, it's the coolest thing. Like these letters that were sent from Nova Scotia back to England like hundreds of years ago, and they never made it. And then now this archivist is opening them, and there's re they're heartbreaking. It's like, Father, won't you send me some sustenance? Father, it's terrible here. <laughs> and they're just like these old yellowed pieces of paper that never reached the right person. Oh, no. Oh, no. no. got their sustenance. <laughs> F Father, I hope that in 250 years' time, an Irish woman doesn't make fun of me on the radio. <laughs> Jenny, I've always wondered this about writers who write romances because, of course, in romances, generally the girl gets the boy, the boy gets the girl. D do you feel obligated to have a successful romantic life of your own? <laughs> 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 really getting into it, huh? Yeah. Uh, no, I don't. 
You know, you know when you sign up for this, Jenny. Go on. <laughs> oh my God, I'm blushing. When oh. you interview Stephen King, are you like, do you feel obligated to murder people? <laughs> in different, <laughs> frightening, different frightening scenarios. Uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> Do, do you ever get, I mean, since you based this novel on a real life thing, do you ever hear from people that you knew when you were young going, was that guy me or was that woman me? Uh, yeah, unfortunately, oh. yes. Oh, really? Oh. Yes, and I just got my um, high school reunion email. Oh, oh my God. Are you going to go? Are you going to go? I, I probably won't, but... Oh, you got to go. You have to, you have to go. <laughs> Bring a camera crew with you. The whole I, point... I, I, of becoming a best-selling author is to go back to your high school reunion and lord it over everybody. Also, yeah. also before you go, send out all those letters. <laughs> <laughs> so, but no, sir, I'm, I'm actually serious because I know this happens to author friends of mine. Do people like get in touch with you and go, Jenny, was that guy me? You based that on me, didn't you? Yes, people, people do do that. Um, at my 10-year reunion, people were asking me if, if, um, if they had made it into the book and... I was denying everything, <laughs> um, so I think in my 20 year, I probably will just avoid. That no, behavior. this is when you have to have fun and go and like mess with people, and just like <laughs> go up to like the mean girls that were mean to you in high school and be like, mm, "You got a coming, girl." <laughs> <laughs> Did you? Do you, as a reader today, and still enjoy romances? Do you like reading the sort of things you write? Yeah, I do. I love it. And I'm so excited about the rom-com having this resurgence because that's what I've been waiting for. Yeah, yeah. This is, and, and I'm, I've actually, I have read that like, oh, the rom-com is back because of To All the Boys I've Loved Before. Well, they, they think that it's, it's revi revived the genre. So congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. Would it be God's work, Jenny. God's work. <laughs> have you ever written a, a, a romantic book in which the girl or boy, whoever is the hero, does not get the, the, the object of their desire? Yeah, I think, I think so. I think generally um, romantic stories end with people together, but I like a story that ends like hopefully, but not necessarily neatly. Right. Right. Yeah, there's never like a drowning at the end of your book. Have you ever considered taking one of your couples that end up with that hopeful note and then revisiting them 10 years later? <laughs> <laughs> Where they're driving each other crazy because of the way they load the dishwasher. Have you ever? <laughs> to all the boys I've nagged before. <laughs> <laughs> Jenny, are your, your parents are Korean, yeah? Yes. And what do they think? Are they, do they get it? My parents are very, very, very proud. And... Even more so when um, my uncle in Korea was sending my mom like articles about it in Korea. Oh well, yeah, that's well. when it's legit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jenny Han, it's a pleasure to talk to you. We've asked you to play a game we're calling To All the Toys I've Loved Before. As we've discussed, your best-selling book and the movie based on it is called To All the Boys I've Loved Before. So we've invited you to on to ask you about the toys that people have loved. Before. You answered two out of three questions correctly about antique toys. You'll win our prize, the voice of any of us, and the voicemail of one of our listeners. Bill, who is Jenny Hahn playing for? Carol DeSantis of Newtown Square, Pennsylvania. You ready to do this? I'm ready. All right, here's your first question. Furbies, of course, were the big toy fad of the 90s, but not everyone loved those little electronic talking animals. In fact, they were banned where? A, at the New York Philharmonic after two hours of Furbies singing Wee Ha Ha and Yummy left attendees shaken. <laughs> B, the British Highlands after local kids discovered that the sounds of a Furby initiated a mating response in cows. 
and their pranks caused too many births, or C, at the Pentagon where officials were afraid that Furbies could record state secrets? C. Yes, you're right. Wow. <laughs> you remember, those of them around, Furbies listened to you and repeated things back, and people were afraid at the Pentagon that they could get all their secrets. Here's your next question. The Easy Bake Oven, classic toy, but mostly popular with girls. When Hasbro tried to market the toy to boys, it failed. And that was probably because they did what? A, they called it the Queasy Bake Cookerator with recipes for mud and crud cakes and drip and drool dog bones. B, they ran a TV ad with a boy using his Easy Bake Oven to melt his sister's Barbie. <laughs> or C, they just painted it black and rebranded it the automatic Uzi food shooter gun. <laughs> I, I'm going to guess B. You're going to guess B at just a TV bad using his Easy Bake Oven to melt his sister's Barbie. <laughs> <laughs> if they had done that, they would have sold them to boys. <laughs> what they did was they called it the Queasy Bake Cookerator. Oh, oh and all the boys across America were like, come on. <laughs> all right, you have one more chance and you can win it all. Here's your last question. Sometimes toys teach kids the wrong lesson. Like which of these following Cold War era products? A, Mommy's a Spy, a card game that made kids think their parents were Soviet spies. <laughs> B, the safe, harmless, giant atomic bomb toy, which you could use to shoot fake atomic bombs at your friends. Or C, my first Gorbachev, a home tattoo kit where you could paint your own forehead birthmark. <laughs> just like the final Soviet leader. Wow. Uh, <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, that's dark. That's it is a little dark. dark. Um, but I guess I'll go for B. You go for B, the safe, harmless, giant atomic bomb. You're right. Wow. Oh my God. It was like, <laughs> looked like a little bomb, had a cap in the thing, so you threw it, and instead of a mushroom cloud, you got a pop. Oh, wow. Very exciting. How fun. Yeah, very exciting. <laughs> Bill, how did Jenny Han do in our quiz? Just like a Jenny book. She came out a winner. Congratulations, Two out of three. Jenny. Jenny Han is the author of many best-selling books, including To All the Boys I've Loved Before. The Netflix adaptation of that book is streamable now. Jenny Han, thank you so much for joining us on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Thank you, guys. In just a minute, we rocket to the moon in our listener limerick challenge. Call one triple eight wait wait to join us on the air. We'll be back in a minute with more of Wait Wait Don't Tell Me from NPR. This message comes from our sponsor, Zegrem Expeditions. Some believe everything has already been discovered, but at Zegrem, they're still exploring and traveling into the deepest parts of nature and culture in ways only they can. Join them. Start planning your expeditions at greatexplorersgo.com because great explorers go together. At the start of your day, you need to know what's happening in the world and that's why you turn to Up First, the morning news podcast from NPR. The news you need to take on the day in just 10 minutes. Here Up First on the NPR One app or wherever you get your podcasts. From NPR and WBEZ Chicago, this is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me the NPR News Quiz. I'm Bill Curtis. We're playing this week with Adam Burke, Maeve Higgins, and Helen Hong. And here again is your host at the Chase Bank Auditorium in downtown Chicago, Peter Sagal. Thank you, Bill. In just a minute. In just a minute, 
Bill checks out the new exhibit at the Guggenheim Museum in our listener limerick challenge. If you'd like to play, give us a call at one triple eight. Wait, wait. That's one eight 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 nine two four eight nine two four. Right now, panel some more questions for you from the week's news. Maeve, research out this week by the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission shows that thousands of Americans had to go to the hospital in 2017 because of injuries caused by what? Oh, waiting so long on the phone to their medical insurance? No. (laughs) (laughs) And thousands had to go, oh, so did they, oh, taking a selfie, they fell into the Grand Canal. That. Or the Grand Canyon. The Grand Canyon, that. (laughs) Thank you. You are a stranger (laughs) to these parts, are you not? (laughs) Well, it turns out, I mean, the danger of this, we didn't know. It turns out you really should not combine pineapple and pepperoni. What? What? Because the pizza man will hit punch you in the face. (laughs) Well, you you, you actually said it. The danger comes from what? Pizza. Yes, the answer is pizza. Pizza? 1,700, I'm sorry, I take that back. 2,300 people (gasps) in 2017 in America went to the emergency room because of pizza-related Injuries. I believe it. You do? I believe it. I have been scalded very badly by oh. a piping hot pizza. That could be it. I've um, been scolded very badly. Yeah. <laughs> Don't you dare. Yeah. Not well, again. Uh, as you say, uh, you're most on of your them... own. This is a family sized pizza. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you guessed right, Helen. Most of the injuries are you, things you would expect burns from the hot sauce and cheese, uh, cuts trying to cut it. Mm. Uh, choking in that little miniature plastic table they give you. (laughs) (laughs) Other injuries are kind of embarrassing. This is true. Uh, One of the things that puts people in the emergency room is people reaching for a slice of pizza (laughs) while they're in bed and falling out and hurting themselves. (laughs) No. So be careful with your pizza, America. And remember, if the ambulance doesn't get you to the ER in 30 minutes or less, you die. I wonder if, like, here in Chicago, because isn't there, like, the deep dish? There is. Like, has there ever been, like, an infant lost in... It's possible. (laughs) (laughs) Not a bad way to go, but embarrassing for the parents. I think so. (laughs) Helen, a big scandal at the U.S. Open this week. Many are saying a woman should be shunned, shamed, or even sent to jail after being spotted on the television broadcast of the match doing what? She was... Can I have a hint? Uh, Well, some people like barbecue sauce. Some people like it sweet and sour. She was eating chicken nuggets. Well, she was, but what was she doing with them? That sounds really lewd. Um, She was not eating chicken nuggets. She was eating chicken fingers. You're right. Okay. But it's what she was doing with them prior to eating them. She was dipping them in both barbecue sauce and... (laughs) No. She was dipping them and then throwing them in the air and then catching them in her mouth like popcorn. She was throwing them at the players. <laughs> she was, she was, I, I, you're never going to guess, but I just enjoy you trying. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's, I can't But imagine. that's how unexpected it was. I, I know. Think. Maeve, do you know? Yeah, I saw it. She was dipping them in Coke. Yes. Yeah. What? She was. I know. You're shocked, aren't you, Helen? You never would have thought of that. That's even more lewd than what I was thinking. I know. <laughs> this woman was seen dipping her chicken fingers in Coca-Cola and no. then eating them. No. Yes. No, no. That's insane. You don't. You can't do that. You have to. If you want to be healthy, dip them in Diet Coke. <laughs> <laughs> Tennis fans were aghast at the spectacle with one claiming, I almost made a noise. (laughs) (laughs) But 
I just think, you know, that poor lady, she was eating the way, like, we eat when we think we're alone. Yeah. And, like, <laughs> yeah. And, and four. And four, four years old. Four years yeah. old. And I just, I really felt for her because she didn't know she was on camera. She right. Didn't. And this is hilarious because, of course, this woman became <laughs> a celebrity and uh, she was interviewed. And it turns out she was there with her nephews, children, and she turned to them, this is true, before she started dipping the chicken fingers into the Coke and was caught on live TV, she turned to them and she said, don't tell anyone about oh, this. No. <laughs> True. <laughs> I mean, it did remind me of something that I do when, when I'm like trying not to overeat. I pretend that Michael Fassbender is watching me. Yeah. <laughs> and then you just start why, stripping. Why Michael Fassbender specifically? Because I'm he's like, a babe. A, he's so hot. He's yeah. the hottest. So I'm just like, oh, no more M&Ms for me. <laughs> <laughs> and I push them away like a lady. Is yeah. that your is that your Michael Fassbender voice? No, that's oh, my, my voice. voice. That's so, my so voice. So like, you're sitting <laughs> but there. is that yeah. the voice that you will and, use and when so you use it, yeah, when you finally meet Michael Fassbender? <laughs> you're like, oh no, hello, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> you sound like Julia Child. <laughs> Make yourself comfortable. <laughs> Do you want some pizza? <laughs> <laughs> Be careful now. It's up the side of the bed. <laughs> Can I? You'll have to reach across me! <laughs> Coming up, it's lightning fell in the blank, but first it's the game where you have to listen for the rhyme. If you'd like to play on air, call or leave a message at one triple eight. wait wait that's one 888 or click the Contact Us link on our website, waitwait.npr.org. There you can find out about uh, attending our weekly live shows right here at the Chase Bank Auditorium in Chicago and our upcoming shows at the Greek Theater in Griffith Park, Los Angeles, September 27th. Our big 20th anniversary show at the Chicago Theater here in Chicago on October 25th, and our show in Orlando, Florida on November 15th. Hi, you're on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Hi, my name's Kelsey Sweeney, and I'm calling from Washington, D.C. Oh my gosh, how are things in Washington? <laughs> <laughs> he said with I'm an air of concern. What do you do there in our nation's capital? I'm a consultant for the Department of Homeland Security. You are? Mm. Oh, I know. <laughs> the greatest reaction. I know. And it's like, weird. I mean, impressed couple of, and then remembered the world and got sad. Yeah. <laughs> this is not like grr. Well, Kelsey, welcome to the show. Bill Curtis is going to read for you three news-related limericks with a last word or phrase missing from each. If you can fill in that last word or phrase correctly in two of the limericks, you'll be a winner. You ready to play? Yes. Here is your first limerick. In Apollo 8, you'll find me snoring. On our mission, there's not much exploring. The moon's just okay. It's like nine shades of gray. See, to me, this whole space thing is... Boring? Boring, Boring. yes. In an interview this week, <laughs> Apollo 8 astronaut Frank Borman admitted his time in space was, quote, boring. He also said his rockets were too loud. <laughs> and when asked if flying around weightless was fun, he simply said no. <laughs> this may be just his age speaking. Borman gave the interview while promoting his new memoir, Up in Space, I Can See All Your Lawns. Now get off them. <laughs> Debbie Downer. Yeah, really. He was one of the first men to fly into space. He orbited the moon. And I was like, eh. This is true. Borman says he enjoyed being around the moon for about 30 seconds before he realized it was just, quote, different shades of gray. 
Yeah, but you, that's the exact same response a modern teenager would have to being in space. <laughs> they would be out and they would see the glory of the vastness of the cosmos and they go, yeah, but the Wi-Fi single kind of sucks. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Here is your next limerick. Of the 29 courses I ate, three were served in a clog, boot, or skate. Two on shovels, six rocks, four on mirrors, two clocks. But none of them came on a... Plate? Plate, yes. According to the Wall Street Journal, the hot new trend in restaurants is no plates. Instead, they're serving food on tennis rackets, shovels, hubcaps, (laughs) and one place in Switzerland served soup out of a high-heeled shoe, which is fun, but it's so much more comfortable to eat out of a sensible flat. (laughs) One chef told the Wall Street Journal, quote, this is not only food, this is art, and also... We ran out of plates. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't like it. It makes They're making a mockery of crockery. <laughs> <laughs> also, he, he said one of the things they said was a rock. Can we make sure that this hasn't been anywhere? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Here is your last limerick. From shaving to food prep, I'm switching. I pray drains and fan don't start glitching. In my big lunchtime rush, I neglected to flush. My bathroom is also by... Kitchen. Yes! An apartment listing in St. Louis went viral this week thanks to its combination bathroom and kitchen. (laughs) Known in the industry as a bitchin'. (laughs) The bathroom kitchen is a tiled, fully equipped kitchen with a bathtub and a toilet located right next to the stove. Or put another way, it's a full bathroom with claw-footed tub and eat-in toilet. (laughs) Bill, how did Kelsey do in our quiz? Kelsey walked away with a big win. Three and zero. Congratulations, Kelsey. Thank you. Now it's on to our final game, Lightning Fill-in-the-Blank. Each of our players will have 60 seconds in which to answer as many fill-in-the-blank questions as he or she can. Each correct answer now worth two points. Bill, can you give us the scores? Our newbie, Maeve, has three. Adam has three. And Helen has one. Oh, Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Helen, you're in third place. You're up first. The clock will start when I begin your first question. Fill-in-the-blank. On Sunday, President Trump tweeted another attack on Attorney General Blank. Jeff Sessions. Right. During congressional hearings on Wednesday, the heads of social media sites Twitter and Blank defended their companies. Um, Twitter and Facebook. Right. This week, Ayanna Presley won a primary victory over a 10-term incumbent, Michael Capuano, for a House seat in Blank. In Massachusetts. That's right. On Thursday, the Blanks announced they were abandoning their newly announced Best Popular Film category. The Oscars. Right. A man in Indianapolis called the police this week to complain that his neighbor blanked. Uh, was mowing the lawn naked? No. He called police to complain that his neighbor had changed her Wi-Fi password and he can no longer steal her Wi-Fi. <laughs> <laughs> this week, millions of items were destroyed after a fire consumed the National Museum of Blank. Brazil. Right. Best known for films like Smokey and the Bandit and Boogie Nights. Actor Blank passed away at the age of 82. Mm, Burt Reynolds. Right. This week, a man in Texas was taken to the hospital after he threw an axe at a train and it blanked. Um, hit the uh, tires? No, he threw the axe <laughs> at the train and it bounced off and hit him in the head. What? According to police, the man was standing near the tracks around midnight when he hurled his axe at an oncoming train, as one does. 
Go up and hit the side, rebound and flew back to the man, hitting him in the head. What? This is the deodorant that you were talking yeah, about. Yeah, <laughs> Bill, how did Helen do in our quiz? I thought pretty well. Yeah, she's climbing back. Uh, she got six right, 12 more points, a total of 13, and the lead. Well yeah. done. All right. We now have a tie. Adam, we flipped a coin, and Adam has elected to go next, so fill in the blank, Adam. This week, former Arizona Senator John Kyle was appointed to fill Blank's seat. I'm McCain. Right. Following an uproar from other attendees, the New Yorker canceled Blank's headlining appearance at their Ideas Festival. Steve Bannon. Right. On Monday, a judge in Blank sentenced two journalists from Reuters to seven years in prison for reporting on the Rohingya crisis. Um, uh, I, I want to say Burma, but that's wrong. Well, it's Myanmar. Myanmar. And after an investigation, Ottawa police concluded that Blank was not a danger to the public. Um... Beavers. An old van with the words free candy written on the side. <laughs> oh my God. Russia's space agency said they're weighing the possibility that someone intentionally caused the oxygen leak in the blank. Uh, oh, the ISS, the, the, the space, space station. station. In an attempt to make their fish seem more fresh, a market in Kuwait was caught blanking. Putting <laughs> googly eyes on the fish. Yeah, that's exactly right, Adam. <laughs> that one too. I'll, yes, I'll have two pounds of your wackiest halibut, please. The owners Look have apologized. They promised not to do it again. But they did breathe a sigh of relief that health inspectors did not notice that all of their chicken breasts were wearing falsies. <laughs> well, how did Adam do in our quiz? Oh, uh, well, pressure's building. He got five rights, had more points. Thirteen, which ties. All right. Helen. So how many... This maid need to walk in here and win the first time out. Well, she needs five to tie, so she needs six to six. win. All right, here we go, Maeve. This is for the game. Fill in the blank. On Tuesday, Robert Mueller's team said they would accept mm. some written answers from blank on his campaign's ties to Russia. The president. Right. On Monday, Nike president announced... President Clinton. <laughs> 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 on Monday, Nike announced that former 49ers quarterback blank would be one of the faces of their new ad campaign. Colin Kaepernick. Right. Meteorologists are predicting that the first major blank of 2018 could hit the U.S. as early as next week. Snowstorm? <laughs> no, not that bad. Hurricane. On Wednesday, Kim Jong-un said he was ready to accept stronger measures to curb his country's blank program. Hair cost? <laughs> Nuclear. On Tuesday, online retail giant Blank became the second company to reach a valuation of $1 trillion. Amazon. Right. A burglar who stole eight <laughs> shoes from a store in Virginia this week was likely disappointed when he discovered Blank. <gasps> that he had no legs. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> when did that happen? This is so disappointing. <laughs> That day, he was disappointed when he discovered that all the shoes he had stolen were all for the right foot. Oh, but at least they weren't for the wrong foot. That's true. <laughs> Bill, did Maeve do well enough to win? She got three points. Well, there you are. Does that mean I won? No, not exactly. <laughs> she got a total of nine, which means our two thirteens are the winners. Congratulations. Congratulations. In just a minute, we're going to ask our panel to predict what will be the title of the next anonymous op-ed to appear in the New York Times. 
Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me is a production of NPR and WBEZ Chicago in association with Urgent Haircut Productions, Doug Berman, Benevolent Overlord. Philip Godica writes our limericks. Our public address announcer is Paul Friedman. Our house manager is Tyler Green, assisted by Simon Tron and Mary D'Olio. Our intern is Catherine Coates. Our web guru is Beth Novi. BJ Liederman composed our theme. Our program is produced by Jennifer Mills, Miles Dernboss, and Lillian King. Technical direction is from Lorna White. Our business and ops manager is Colin Miller. Our production coordinator is Robert Newhouse. Our senior producer is Ian Chillog. The executive producer of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me is Michael Danforth. Now, panel, what will be the next anonymous op-ed that we will wake up to see in the New York Times? Maeve Higgins. Uh, we should all be vegan. I know that because I'm three bees in the lamp. <laughs> but you see, you don't know which three bees and which lamp. <laughs> this is not getting any clearer. Adam yeah. Burke. I am anonymous, a essay by someone claiming to be anonymous, the guy who came up with all those sayings, proverbs, and epigrams you see on motivational posters, and who's demanding he gets a royalty next time you say, a stitch in time saves nine. <laughs> and Helen Hong. A letter written by an anonymous service dog saying, it's actually okay to pet us. Oh. <laughs> well, if any of that happens, we'll ask you about it on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Thank you, Bill Curtis. Thanks also to Helen Hong, Adam Burke, and Maeve Higgins for a fabulous debut on our show. Thanks to all of you for listening. I am Peter Sagal. We'll see you next week. This is NPR.